Hey, it's Greg. Thanks for checking out the Toronto Today podcast for Wednesday, July the 6th. Great to have you in. We obviously responding to breaking news and reacting to it all over the place. Patrick Brown out for contention for Conservative Party of Canada leadership. And why? Uh, allegations of some element of financial wrongdoing per the party. But Brown reacting quite adamantly that he hasn't done anything wrong and uh, very critical of the party as well. So Andrew Brander on that from Crestview Strategies. Tasha Carradine, who is uh, Jean Charest's co-chair. and You know her uh, and uh, remember her well from hosting here right here at 640 Toronto. And we'll talk to Anna Bailao about many of the issues in the city, including whether we can just step up our game when it comes to our waterfront. We talk a lot about this in the spring and summer is why we can't be like other cities. Why can't we be more like Chicago, at least in terms of their waterfront, keeping it open? Um, maybe, just maybe, the waterfront neglect years um, are coming to an end. Maybe they are. So all that and much, much more on the show today. Thanks very much for finding us. Toronto Today begins now. Just a bombshell of a political story last night. I... <sighs> It, it, it was one of those things that I thought there's campaigning for campaigning. There's things and finger pointing and allegations that come up in cases, in, in races, I should say. And this Conservative Party of Canada leadership race has felt like a weird one. It has because I, I was a bit surprised. Let me say this right out of the gate. I was a guy that said, let's hang in there with Aaron O'Toole. That sounds ridiculous now in retrospect, but I really believe that they would and I think it was the right strategy. Now, here's what I don't see coming. I don't see three things coming. And then I'm going to get to everything that transpired with Patrick Brown, as Tina just mentioned at the top of the news, being out of the leadership race. But we don't know if he's off the ballot. We don't know if they'll remail ballots. That, to me, seems like the obvious thing. you got months to do this. Just disqualify all those ballots and send... I, I still get mailers. When I go check the mail or my kid runs down and check the mail, I get flyers. You can find a way to do this. If there was, by the way, if there was a mistake from uh, uh, the Canada Revenue Agency and they send you money they shouldn't with taxes, don't you think, don't you think they'd go, oh, by the way, um, two weeks later, here's the correction on your taxes. Of course they would. And if you missed it last night, this happened around 11 o'clock, statement by the chair, leadership election organizing committee for the CPC uh, and I'll read you the, the opening uh, comment. And I'll tell you what, what I, what I kind of got wrong about this. I have no problem telling you when I get things wrong. You know that. In recent weeks, from Ian Brody, our party became aware of serious allegations of wrongdoing by the Patrick Brown campaign that appear to violate the financial provisions of the Canada Elections Act. Following our rules and procedures for the 22 leadership, the chief returning officer notified the Patrick Brown campaign of the allegations, asked for a written response. He also withheld the interim membership list from the Patrick Brown campaign. But uh, bottom lining it, the chief returning officer recommended to the LEOC that they disqualify Patrick Brown. The LEOC, the Leadership Election Organizing Committee, so many acronyms, agreed they would do that. And the party is sharing that information. Brown's team's response, uh, we just found out about this. We didn't get a chance to defend ourselves. We weren't at the meeting. Uh, and by the way, this is getting out there overnight that there was a split decision. This was not not something that was overwhelmingly unanimous, not by a long shot, to disqualify Patrick Brown from being eligible for uh, for running for leadership. And the Brown campaign is saying it's about anonymous allegations. There was no due process. And uh, there's a lot of Canadians, a lot of Canadians coast to coast. They point out that wanted to join the party, 
only joined because of Brown's vision, as they describe it, for a, quote, multicultural and inclusive movement. And these members are what the what this morning. And you can't blame them for that. You can't blame them for that. But this is the money line from the Brown statement. Why is the party doing this? It was expecting a coronation for Pierre Polyev. When the final final membership numbers came in, it became clear Polyev did not have the points to win this race. So this is not somebody ready to take take the medicine. This is not somebody ready to take the talking to. Yeah, we might have got some things wrong. We accept the decision. Far from it. Far from it. And here's where I, I'm going to tell you more about where we got to with Patrick Brown. But here's where I, I, I just didn't see this coming is we're there last fall. OK, we're all getting vaccinated. We're moving through the fall and the fall was actually really fun until Omicron. I think you got to admit that. I think you got to look back August, September, October. We were able to go where we wanted to go, do most of the things we're, we're you know, we're knocking on the door. We got to open this border. We got to do this. We got to do that. Schools were at, at least opened as a win, whether masks were on kids or not. Another story entirely. But I thought, hang in there with Aaron O'Toole. Why? This is a minority government. Here's two things I don't see coming. I don't see the Freedom Convoy coming. And that did Aaron O'Toole some damage. Um, there was the concept that he was trying to be all things to all people. He had a little like kind of alleyway chat with the convoy, wasn't exactly marching with them. And some of the conservatives said, you need to be out there and uh, and listen to the concerns of real people. Um, then what I don't see also coming is sort of the rise of the popularity of Polyev. And clearly within party machinations, they saw that. And whether Brown or Sheree are even in the race, if it's not for Pierre Polyev and uh, and trying to stop what looks like a steam train becoming the next leader of the conservative party, I don't know. Here's Patrick Brown back in May 2015. And Jason Chapman and I talked about this outside uh, as the show got going at 530. This was a gift wrapped election you get that sometimes you're, you're putting in the work Jean Chrétien had one of those in 1993 okay you get a gift wrapped election not as much for what you're going to bring but people have had it with the other person Kathleen Wynne and the other party the Ontario Liberal Party of Canada we're gonna have a great chat about that by the way at 745 here's Patrick Brown getting elected leader of the PC party in this province seven and a half years ago Patrick Brown, 88.861. Christine Elliott, 11.039. Patrick Brown has been elected leader of the Ontario PC Party. So that's spring of 2015. Everything is going according to plan. He's pushing Kathleen Wynne, not physically, but pushing her in the uh, in Queen's Park. The liberals kind of know they're on borrowed time here. There was, and I remember this really well, suggestions within the liberal party. Uh, it's it's the one of the three parties I kind of, at least even at that time, had some connection to. And there's a lot of people saying, we're going to get rumbled here. We're going to get hammered. And whether or not Kathleen Wynne should have stepped aside and a new leader should have been elected then and she shouldn't have run for leadership. It w- there'd be MPPs with jobs today and there sure would have been MPPs with jobs from 18 to 22 that didn't survive because Kathleen Wynne stayed leader. That's just the facts. That's the facts. OK, they went down to seven seats. They gained a big fat one seat last election, as you know. Here's the allegation. This is a woman being interviewed by CTV. If we fast forward to just after Christmas 2017 and dip into January 2018, elections coming. It's coming in June, five months away. There's almost nothing 
that can derail Patrick Brown from being premier until this. He pulls out his pants and said, I don't know if he said, suck my dick or put this in your mouth, but something along those lines. When we got to his room, he kind of shut the door on me and started making some moves. It's not a good allegation. Now, uh, I'm going to come around to how that bow got tied on those allegations some four years later. But the damage provincially, the damage provincially done. Here's Patrick Brown rejecting those allegations, saying, plain and simple, I'm an innocent man here. A couple hours ago, I learned about troubling allegations about my conduct and character. And I'm here tonight to address them. First, I want to say these allegations are false categorically untrue every one of them i will defend myself as hard as i can with all means at my disposal it's never okay it's never okay for anyone to feel they've been a victim of sexual harassment or feel threatened in any way let me make this clear a safe and respectful society is what we expect and deserve and no one appreciates that more than i do i've got two younger sisters who are my best friends I've grown up in a, in a family that has taught me good values. My values and beliefs are those that we need to move forward to eradicate sexual violence and harassment across the province, across the country, everywhere. I know the court of public opinion moves fast. I've instructed my attorneys to ensure that these allegations are addressed where they should be in the court of law. In short, I reject these accusations in the strongest possible terms. It's not my values. It's not how I raised. It's not who I am. Okay, a lot of emotion there. And uh, as we talked about at the start of the show, Brown was then chased through the halls and, and didn't want to take questions on this. Listen, two quickies on that. One, having sisters doesn't qualify or disqualify you from potentially committing sexual harassment sexual assault it doesn't it's it's that's if i'm gonna go hey listen um believe all women i'm sorry that's let's listen to every single allegation and let people be heard but that's not the same thing that's a clunky slogan that doesn't work in the court of law Okay, Amber Heard can cry. Johnny Depp can be sarcastic. And I watched that trial and I thought both of them were full of crap most of the time in a toxic relationship. Let's fast forward ahead. Brown has to give up the leadership, becomes the Brampton mayor and then comes back around leading into this last year and says on CTV, there was no proof of the of uh, of reimbursement allegations when he settled the lawsuit with the media company that put these allegations on the air and gave them uh, and gave them oxygen. First of all, we never heard of the individuals on the audio recording, no connection to our campaign. And it's just, uh, you know, it is a distraction. And so Pierre Polyev wants us to be talking about this. He is an expert when it comes to um, communications and uh, and these type of distraction tactics. Now, there's something I said at the time of of the incident when uh, when Brown was in, in essence, in essence, uh, it was deemed by CTV that they treated him wrongly. CTV made a settlement. Brown's not going to talk about it. CTV's not going to talk about it. They don't have to talk about it for there to have been a financial settlement. CTV got the journalism wrong. It's possible that the women are telling the truth. It's quite possible Patrick Brown was telling the truth all along and did nothing inappropriate. But the story was was wrong, and that will happen sometimes. You want to minimize that, but it may have happened there. This is an intriguing one for me. We had Patrick Brown on a month ago, but also Roy Green had him on 
uh, his national show across this Chorus Radio Network that you can hear on 640 Toronto. And they talked about these allegations. This is from only three weeks ago, and we found it interesting. So let's address um, what's gone on inside this race for the leadership of the Conservative Party. Mr. Polyev claims that your campaign has been engaged in paying people to become members of the Conservative Party and to vote for you. You've responded very strongly to the criticism or to the uh, to the charge. Can you just share with us, please, what's going on as far as that's concerned? Well, of course, our campaign would never um, support that. We abide by all rules uh, that the party has in place. And frankly, I think that is... Pierre Polyev needs to spend more time attacking Justin Trudeau than he does his conservative opponents in this race. And I, and I think that that attack was very intentional. It was on the same day uh, that we saw the crisis and the crash of Bitcoin. I think it was a distraction uh, um, attempt from his own economic uh, policy that is under scrutiny um, because of the, um, the, the freefall that we've seen in cryptocurrency. All right. So, uh, and you all want it. Well, not Mr. Polyev, but the the rest of you want another debate. Yes, absolutely. I think it's important to have vigorous debates during this this leadership to to be uh, tested. To uh, um, you know, it, it's not going to get easier. You know, the following this leadership, whoever wins this leadership, is going to have to have vigorous debates in front of all Canadians. And I think the last thing we should be doing right now is avoiding that scrutiny and avoiding avoiding those debates. I don't think we should hide from the media or hide from debates. I think we need to be accountable and let the Conservative membership see how we handle ourselves under that scrutiny. We're going to see where this goes today. We're going to see where this goes. I don't think this story is over today, and I think there's going to be more reaction on both sides. We've heard nothing from Pierre Polyev yet. We're going to hear, I'm sure, from Jean Charest later on this morning. So I told you a convenience store, gas station story yesterday. Um and uh, it had a lot of layers to it. One of the parts I didn't tell you was that um, guy acting weird in a convenience store. And I'm like, I'm the guy behind him. I'm second in line. This guy is playing lottery tickets like you can't believe. There's a wheel, the video wheel. He's yelling like Tom Cruise. Show me the money. Must be the money. He's doing all of that. All that stuff. All of it. But at the same time, I'm going that this could all kick off because the guy cuts him off and calls me up beside him he has to sidle over a little bit he becomes the sidler for a minute and i and i i buy my uh, protein shake and power it but then he doesn't come out of the store he later gets arrested and i don't know what it was i don't know whether it's a moving violation plates is he high is he drunk is he both is he I, who knows but they arrest him i pull into the parking lot by the way it's the only way you can get back on the main road is to cut now through the parking lot because they've got the road blocked off and I pull in to talk next to a cop to go it, it, after I, I go to the gym for an hour and a half. So they're still investigating this 90 minutes later. And I roll down my window for the cop to talk to him. And just as I get a sentence out, this guy blasts me on the horn behind me. He's got room to go around me, but he comes right up behind me and is like honking at me like I'm an. And the cop gets out of the car and he's like, hey, I'm having a conversation with this person. Um, I pull off to let the guy pass, but. The cop thought the guy was, I, you can't give a ticket for rudeness, uh, sadly. Yeah, people are so polite in this day and age. I can't figure that out. So we thought, let's have a conversation about this. Um, I couldn't believe it. I've never seen a customer cut off 
from scratching and winning and video lottery tickets and all this stuff. Kenny Shim is owner of the Busy Bee King Market. Everybody knows where this is. Everybody's been to see Kenny on King Street West, and he joins me right now. Kenny, it's Greg Brady. Thanks for uh, making time early for us uh, on the show and for our audience. How are you doing? Good morning. I'm very, doing very well. I usually start earlier than this, so this is nothing new. This so is prime I'm time for you. you. You've had you've had breakfast. You've uh, you've checked out the news. You're 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 deep into your day uh, before seven a.m. Right? Usually just the coffee. No time for breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> so I say to you, it's a weird one because uh, I, I'm like, oh, there's a customer I don't want to make eye contact with, but I'm I'm not the clerk. I'm not the owner of the Busy Bee King. You you can't avoid contact with people, uh, you know, aggressively playing lottery tickets or kind of wandering in being confused sometimes. this These are public places. This happens. Yes, it happens all the time, actually. We have, I've been there for 30 years. There's many different kind of uh, lottery players. <laughs> Some, uh, I mean, they're very uh, superstitious. So they sometimes wait. You have really good kind and you have like when you mentioned some people who's got a lot of tickets, it'll take about 30 minutes to process all their tickets. We play, and there's a regulation. You can't play more than $100 on the sports betting and all that. And in between the customers, they realize that the people are waiting, and they, they let us serve the customer in between. But some, if you do that, oh, my goodness. Oh, you're throwing off their rhythm. They're like, they're like, they think they're at a craps table in, uh, in Las Vegas. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and they're noisy, and uh, and if you uh, let let somebody else come in to serve, they yell at you, they threaten you. Uh, it's 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 not funny. I, I, I'm getting these text messages already from people listening to the show, going, "Lotto guy is the worst. Scratch and win lady, she's the worst." And so, th- it, w- when they added these components, they made your job. Um, and I remember coming in, wandering in as a dumb university kid playing pro line i did that stuff too but i've got it all organized i'm not i'm not picking uh teams at the counter holding seven people up i just hand you the ticket you punch it through and we're good to go but the scratch and win people are different exactly some of them actually wants to see the number to see if there's a lucky number on the serial numbers of the tickets and especially uh as you know during the covid uh, customers were not allowed to touch the uh, OLG product at all. So they had to point it through the glass and we have to give it out. And they would yell at me, oh, I'm paying my money. Why are you not letting me? Oh, Kenny. It's pandemic. You can't touch it. And they, they threaten you and do all these things. But you know what? That's a life at convenience store. It's not every day it happens, but it does happen quite often, unfortunately. So I never would have guessed there's a limit for what people can spend on. Do you say it's just the sports betting or it's, it's any OLG spending? If someone comes in with a fistful of $20 bills and there's no one else in there, can they just stand at the counter and play as long as they want on, on these, these video, like I said, there's like a video price is right. Wheel of fortune type spinning wheel game. And the, and the guy was watching the wheel ahead of me. I'm sitting there going, when's this going to end? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And they make it OLG, make it, little bit longer so that the players are like having fun kind of thing but <laughs> there's no limit for other games except sport betting okay sport betting per event and per game there's a pool there's a pro line the rules change all the time but there's hundred dollar limit for each game and you cannot go beyond that 
And uh, when we train our staff, they're all were aware of it, and I'm aware of it as well. But other, other like 649, Lotto Max, there's no limit. And a lot of uh, serious players play like daily games, like as you mentioned, Wheel of Fortune, Lightning, Poker All In, and all that. So it's uh, it's a concern sometimes. A lot of people are addicted to it. Yeah. You think? I, I was going to say, of course they are. Now, now you need this, right? Like as a source of revenue, whether it's because mm-hmm. you don't do gas. So I can imagine gas is pretty. That's a pretty critical part of revenue for a gas station with the pumps there. But I'm going to guess the lottery is an important. It's an important source of revenue also. Like like you couldn't do without it, could you? Exactly. Exactly. Uh, the margin on lottery is very minimal. Like uh, I don't want to uh, bore you with the numbers, but it has been five percent commission for a dollar like five cent to a dollar for last 30 40 years as you know the minimum wages went up from like three dollars back in 70s uh mm-hmm. now it's like 16 dollars whereas a lot of commission has been five percent and throughout the pandemic the uh the uh, credit card and debit card processing has reduced that margin even more to three and a half or so anyways i'm not going to bore you with the numbers but uh yeah so we do need this uh, lottery for people to come into the store and to buy other goods. So they come to play Lotto Max, they'll buy Popsicle during the hot summer days or, or can of Coke or candies or my store. I have lots of groceries. They'll buy groceries and all that. So definitely Lotto is an asset. Actually, value, the asset of the yeah. store changes if you have the Lotto machine or not. It's I- that cr- critical important. I want to I want to tell people we're talking to Kenny Shim, owner of the Busy Bee King Market on King Street West. I'm learning a ton from uh, from chatting with you, Kenny. I'm I'm enjoying this, and I can tell by the text messages our listeners are also. But here's what I'd ask you: When you get people coming in now, I I, I know there's a lot of theories about the pandemic and moving out of it, and how how people are. I just I just mentioned the fact that a guy behind me, while I roll down my window talking to a police officer, is like giving me the finger and kind of honking the horn. I wouldn't do that with a cop nearby, but he's got no problem. Do you find people and their level of civility? Have we, have we changed? Can we get, I, I'm, I inherently believe nine out of 10 people are really, really good people, but we get the one out of 10 or the one out of 20 that just aren't. What do you see from people? Have, have, have people's brains just been fried from the pandemic? Are they like, this is so lousy. I'm going to treat other people badly as well. What do you see? I totally agree with you. There are a lot of good people. I mean, I totally believe in that. Like you said, one out of those 10 people go nuts and there always will be. But however, throughout the pandemic, that one out of 10 has gone up to probably two out of 10. Hopefully, after the pandemic's over, that two, uh, two out of 10 will go back to one out of 10, hopefully. But right now, I find a lot of customers that are regular to my store their behavior has changed quite a bit. Uh, they're a little bit more aggressive and they're like, they're not that kind anymore. So hopefully everybody that's listening here, let's chill out and you know, be peaceful and be considerate, help each other out. And I think if we spread that, we'll go back to that one out of 10, hopefully maybe even less. Oh, I like your message. I like your message. Would, would you like, can you run, would you run for mayor? Can you, can we put you on city council? We'll be the show that backs you for city council. We'll do it. 
Uh, politician, no thank you. <laughs> I, I know they work hard, but it's not a, I, I, I rather deal with the public and one out of ten uh. people, but I know politicians, I, uh, I have a lot of respect. Uh, I met Premier a couple of times on uh, convenience store issues and all that as well, but you know what? They deal with oh. a lot of things, and you know what? I'm not ready for it. I'm, I'm quite content with our convenience store. Who's the most, who's the most famous person that's come into your store? Uh... From my store, I don't know too many movie stars. I know I'm at King and Bathurst, so when we have yeah. a test, I heard I had a, uh, what was her name, uh, Julia Roberts coming to my store, but I, I couldn't recognize her. <laughs> Wait a minute. Okay, okay. That's a, a, that's, I'll, I'll, I'll accept that because you said that you're not into, <laughs> you're no, not into no, movies that much. No, I, know. I like Julia Roberts like that, but. When they come in the morning, they don't have makeup on, right? And it's quite a difference. Oh, okay. <laughs> so so Julia Roberts isn't Julia Roberts, 365, 24-7. We're going to lead with this at the top. Forget the Patrick Brown news. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to lead with this. I got one more for you, and I'd ask you about, about beer and wine. Because I, I lived mm-hmm. in the States for 10 years, and it just became commonplace. If you were having people over, you could get a nice bottle of wine at a store like yours. You could get a six-pack if you're uh, having a buddy over in your backyard. Would you sell beer and wine? Like, like, should you be able to sell beer and what? Why do these fancy ass grocery stores get to and you don't, Kenny? Would you do it? Oh, for sure. We've been actually lobbying. I belong to a group called the uh, Ontario Convenience Store Association and the Korean Business Manager. So we've been lobbying to government for the re- uh, convenience store to sell beer and wine. Nothing heavy duty, just beer and wine. Even just craft local to support our local beer and wine. Uh, we haven't, but we're still working on it. Uh, we talked to Premier Ford about it, and he's uh, very enthusiastic, and uh, he wants to yeah. put it through. And it'll be a big changer because it'll give more, uh, you know, targeted customers to come into our store and buy other things with it. Mm, as well. Yeah. But when uh, you I- have a lot of beer at home, you get drunk. You don't want to get in the car and drive to the beer store. You could come to Corner Store, walk and grab it. It'll be a lot, a lot more safer, right? True that. Yeah, yeah. And and, and I tell you, you, you you're at you're talking responsibly because some of these American stores they sell the hard stuff. They'll sell that blind dog bourbon that you like. You two glasses of that, and you won't know what hit you. Take take it from me. And our stores, uh, <laughs> uh, Ontario I, government statistic, we have 98%. We check IDs, and we're very good with the uh, I believe it. I believe it. I believe it. Hey, Kenny, thanks for giving us some insight on uh, on what you do. And, and I think it's, again, a lot of nuggets we can take away there. And we'll check in with you again sometime. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you. Thank you for understanding. Thank you. Bye. Well, I don't. Yeah. Th- no, not many people say that to me. I'm not terribly an understanding person, but I, I connected with you there. Kenny Shim, owner of the Busy Bee King Market on King Street West. The Conservative Party of Canada says they've disqualified candidate Patrick Brown from the race. Serious allegations of wrongdoing is the quote from the Elections Committee chair. I'm eager to bring on Andrew Brander, who uh, is uh, is probably you know eating this stuff up and trying to figure out what it all means, as we are. And Andrew Brander, uh, Vice President of Crestview Strategy, a former Chief of Staff to the Deputy Leader of the Conservative Party of Canada, joins us now. Um, what a story. What's your, what's your immediate reaction to it? Good morning, Craig. Uh, you know, it, it wouldn't be a conservative party leadership race without uh, without a few surprises thrown in the mix. Uh, so, you know, it's it, it, it certainly um, certainly came as a surprise to me. 
if you're if you're to read the reaction and the statement from the Patrick Brown campaign, it's it's coming as a surprise uh, to them as well. Not sure how much of a surprise to be to be honest in in that account because the leadership uh, campaigns were all to be provided the membership, the full finalized membership list heading into the Canada Day weekend. Um, so, you know, by by the time Monday rolled around and they still hadn't received that, I think that probably sent up a few warning flags for them in terms of in terms of what was going on. Um, and then, of course, uh, this uh, hastily organized um, meeting of the uh, the leadership election committee last night um, kind of uh, at least temporarily sealing uh, Mr. Brown's fate in in this uh, in this leadership race. It's a very different scenario, Andrew, than four uh, four plus years ago when he vacated the leadership of the Ontario PCs. But unlike four years ago, um, there is a major fight back. Uh, the statement from him is: "This is reprehensible, undemocratic behavior." It, this is an indictment of the CPC and a party that is not serious about winning a general election. So I don't know if that's, um, quote unquote, burning a bridge. I think people should say what they feel and and be honest and accountable with with their emotions about things like this. But that is um, he's th- this is more than just a double down by Patrick Brown saying I've done nothing wrong. And they want they want a decided outcome here that doesn't go in my favor. Yeah, maybe lessons from from four years ago. Of course, uh, those you know the allegations which which led to his departure uh, four years ago never proven mm-hmm. uh, in in a in a court, um, and therefore maybe you know this time look look at how much effort uh, the 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 guy has put into rehabilitating himself and and you know expanding his reach out um, as serving as mayor of mayor of Brampton. Look, the guy's the guy is a fighter. He came back from that uh, within within five months to win uh, a municipal race in a hotly contested uh, city, one of the largest cities in in Canada that he had never lived in before. Right. Like what what more speaks to his drive than that? So I think you're absolutely right. The statement says it. Uh, His team is saying it. They're going to fight this. Uh, It's not the last we've heard of him. Uh, in the, in the leadership race, the problem uh, with with the approach right now is that because he has campaigned uh, in such a way where it's you know it's been a little more clandestine in terms of uh, in terms of his approach to the campaign, there aren't actually a lot of people available to come out and 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 defend and push back against against these allegations. And if indeed uh, the Conservative Party uh, as a party has decided to turn this investigation over to Elections Canada, which is what it sounds like, they tend to not be the most efficient in terms of dealing with these types of issues. So, I mean, that can, the, the, the time is, uh, is ticking on this one and uh, it's not looking great for Patrick. Andrew Brander is kind enough to join us on 640 Toronto on Toronto today. I'll come around to the practicality of these ballots that are getting mailed out right now. But you made a great point I wanted to expand upon about Brown's political future. Not only did he win in Brampton, but I also think during the pandemic, Andrew, uh, you and I have a few have, have had a few chats during it. And I admire that he has said he's not 
some mayors have been very unwilling to step on the toes of the province because there's transfer payments involved and they got to fall in line. And Brown has said very cordially, uh, very frankly, not sure we're getting everything right. And and I wish I wish this is why we put Nate Erskine Smith on and other liberal MPs who said not sure our liberal government, they're sitting MPs in the House of Commons saying not sure we're doing everything properly here. And Brown, I thought, won a lot of attention and 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 lauding for how he was a mayor during the pandemic saying maybe we should ask more questions than just than just go along with things and i'd hate to see him done politically he's in his mid 40s andrew this isn't a guy to be honest this isn't a john charay who didn't have to come out of retirement to do this he's a political animal by nature and i think he had more to give here so i think there's a lot of patrick brown fans that are a little worried about his future than 24 hours ago I, I think that's right. And and not to mention the fact that he, you know, was, I think, the most in tune uh, during the pandemic to be the first one to tap into people's sensibilities when mm-hmm. it came to when it came to certain things. Well, you know, uh, we inter- while the province was talking about possibly, you know, at one point ticketing people uh, for going out to, to walk their dogs, that was a very, very quickly walked back. But just a few weeks before that, you know, Patrick was out launching a contest in Brampton, uh, you know, encouraging people to build their own ice rinks so that they could get outside and get some physical activity. So, you know, I think I think he's he's always been in tune with uh, the people that that he serves. Um, but these I mean, these obviously are, are serious allegations. I don't believe that uh, the Leadership Election Committee, which is a a volunteer committee of 17 people, uh, would have moved on this if not for some kind of significant evidence. Uh, So whether, you know, you you ultimately as a political candidate have to take responsibility for uh, those uh, purporting to represent you, selling memberships. Obviously, you can't win these races by yourself, but you have to take responsibility for the actions of your team. We don't know what these allegations are, so it's really, right. really hard to hard to speculate on on exactly what they are. Um, but given the the rules around campaign financing and how these membership races tend to unfold, one can imagine it it has to do with the selling of 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 the membership, of the especially yeah. given given the timing around around the release of the list. I got two more I want to squeak in. I really want to get your insight. So if, if you can keep me 30 seconds on each one, what happens What happens to these ballots that got mailed out? Can they send out new ones? Uh, they can't. Uh, so <laughs> they're on a very tight timeline. Patrick Brown will remain on the ballot, uh, which is actually bad news. Uh, two of the last three conservative leaders were elected on the last ballot and uh, by candidates who were not the front runner. Um, so this is actually bad news for anyone that is not the front runner who ended up wanting to be that consensus candidate. Uh, they're not going to ben- have the benefit of one more motivated uh, you know, group of supporters coming out to support their candidates and counting on those second or third ballots. And lastly, I mean, I think the average person would hear this last night as I did or this morning waking up and go, Wow. Like the, these are kind of two things in five years. They're very different allegations as you document out of the gate. But someone just might ask, does, does someone have it in for him? Does someone, do you think uh, someone organizes against a Patrick Brown in cases like this? Uh, I think the only thing we can take we can take from this right now is that the Conservative Party is very serious about winning 
uh, the next mm-hmm. election. They uh, have sold more memberships in this leadership race than any political party ever before. Uh, so they're, you know, putting everything on the line. Andrew, thanks so much for your insight. Really want to track you down uh, a few more times before all this happens in September. There's, there's nobody we'd rather talk to. Thanks for the time. Have a great day. You bet. Andrew Brander from Crestview Strategies there. Some really good stuff. Yeah, I think about it from time to time. The Friday that Doug Ford introduced his cabinet, I thought, oh, yeah, yeah, 83 seats. And the liberals went from seven to eight seats. Um, they Look, the train was coming for them in 2018. We've talked about this a million times that you're just going to get run over sometimes in an election. you got to brace yourself and prepare for a big, big loss. The conservatives and, and uh, Kim Campbell did that in 1993, didn't they? These things happen. But not being it, but getting hit by the same train, in essence, after four years of Doug Ford and the conservatives, I know it wasn't the result liberals wanted. I know it wasn't. Our next guest wrote a great op-ed on the TVO site. Three things the Ontario liberals must do to rebuild is the headline. And Andrew Perez joins us right now on Toronto Today. I loved I loved your read. Thank you very much for making the time and uh, and uh, discussing the uh, the piece with me. It's great to have you on. Thanks so much, Greg. It's great to be here. When I say that, um, what was your reaction on on election night? I came on the next morning and I said, I think it was a good night for the NDP in that people knew there'd be losses, but they gave back only nine seats. They stayed the opposition. You saw what I saw. There were some polls saying the liberals are going to win 25, 26 seats and they'll be the official opposition. So what a cr- it was a crushing night for the party. No, no doubt. And I, I was, uh, you know, I was personally devastated. Um, I, I actually worked on the central campaign um, as, a, as a volunteer uh, communications advisor. So I was very invested in this election. And, you know, until the final days and final hours was still quite optimistic that we could form the official opposition. Um, and then, you know, just, you know, our first past the post system and the, the party's vote was very inefficient. Um, as you know, we actually edged out the NDP slightly in the popular vote, mm-hmm. um, and yet we we got trounced when it came to seat count. So, um, you know, obviously not the night that we had hoped for. Um, but you know, what I point out in my piece is, you know, this is the second consecutive election in which we haven't been able to. Well, we've we've been the third party, but also we haven't been able to hold on to party status. And and that hasn't been the case since the 1940s in Ontario. And so, you know, I was trying to provide a clear-eyed, honest assessment of where we are in 2022. And I'm not looking to point blame at anybody. These are structural problems that the party has um, rubbed up against for over a decade now, really started um, Mm -hmm. after the 2011 election. And um, and so, you know, it, we're not looking at any one leader or any one policy. It's it's these are structural problems that we face as a party and that we really must confront once and for all if we are to genuinely rebuild and, and really become a party that has appeal in, in every region of the province across diverse demographics. Um, because if we truly want to form a majority government and that should be our goal. Um, we, we can't merely rely on on big city support. We have to build a big tent, big coalition party. I mentioned, Andrew, that it, it there's not much. I don't think there was much that could be done in 2018. Politics and and uh, and eras in power are are finite. Sometimes they're due uh, for an ending, and oftentimes that ending isn't pretty. But if I if I were without blaming uh, with, without a, a finger of blame. When you look at Stephen Del Duca during the campaign or leading up to it, is there something you wish you could 
get in the DeLorean, go back in time and say, say this, don't say that. Do this, don't do that. Was there anything tactically that that even a post-game analysis that you'd give him and go, I wish we'd done more or less of this? Well, I think, you know, it's 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 tempting to be an, ar- an armchair quarterback and say we could have done this or we could have done that. You know, I will say Stephen Del Duca was an unflappable leader. He was a strong communicator. Um, he, he, you know, he, this, this was not a leader that was gaff prone. It was his mm-hmm. first election, but I, I truly believe that he performed well. I think there were a number of factors that just were not working in our interest. Um, I think, you know, as I allude to in the column, um, in the second half of Ford's mandate, um, he really embraced brokerage, uh, big tent politics. He, he took the pandemic and used it as an opportunity to, to prove his mettle and to turn around what was um, a disastrous government prior to COVID. And so he, he was able to attract voters from across the political spectrum, um, Ontarians that, that wouldn't typically identify with the progressive conservative party. And so that was a major factor. Um, and, and COVID, I think, you know, and I, I mentioned this in the column, not mm-hmm. being in the legislature, being a rookie leader, um, Mr. Del Duca wasn't well known across the province and a four week election campaign did, did really not give him enough time to really introduce himself. Um, but, you know, as I say in the piece, I think um, our platform, while, 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 while strong in many aspects, um, you know, I, people, as you know, the average person doesn't read through a, you know, a hundred page platform. And there was a perception that we were lurching to the left and, 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 you know, a lot of people weren't really able to distinguish our platform from the NDP um, from a broad perspective without getting into the weeds. And, and so I think we lost support there. And I think this has been something that we've struggled with um, over, over the past decade. Um, you know, we, Trudeau won big in 2015, um, out, outflanking the NDP. Yes, he won in the last two elections, but he lost the popular vote. And so I don't think that's um, really a strategy that we should be replicating um, at the provincial level because Andrea Horvath, as you noted, um, you know, formed the official opposition for, for, the, for the second consecutive election. And, and Doug Ford has not embraced a Mike's, Mike Harris-style um, politics. He's really, right. you know, so we need to compete against that and we need to be able to compete and, and, and draw on PC votes in the next election and the election after that. And we need mm-hmm. to form a government that represents every region of the of the province, not merely the big cities. Andrew Perez, our guest on Toronto Today. Um, you write, Canadian history shows that when centrist parties decline, they do not rebound and voters are forced to choose between right and left. And I think you're documenting this right now with the struggles with Stefan Dion and Michael Ignatieff. That took time. That took a good decade for the Liberals to figure out we may need a more enigmatic, charismatic leader, but at the same time, we also have to define who we are. And I think they did a good job of that going into um, the, the election in 2015. But you're making the point provincially, the Ontario Liberals have seen the Liberals in other provinces just not be able to 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 do that to uh, to have a mission statement to have an identity that appeals to voters and you can say hey you know you, you, you can like it or not like it but we know who we are and that's the struggle isn't it absolutely and and and, and that's been the case in Saskatchewan uh, Manitoba and Alberta um the the liberal parties to, to my recollection were never like dominant in those provinces but they were they were um competitive parties that that Formed official opposition, 
um, that that were um, you know respected parties that played important roles in those provinces. Um, and over the last 20 years, um, those those parties no longer exist. I mean, on paper they exist, but in reality, um, the electorate has become polarized. So you know, you, you have a choice between voting NDP and Conservative. And I don't want to, you know, we're seeing this at the federal level, a polarization um, on the kind of center left to left and right, uh, center right to right. Uh, and I, I don't want to see that uh, replicated in Ontario. Um, you know, if, if, if a future Conservative leader is more, cons- is, takes a much more Conservative approach than Doug Ford, um, and, and the Ontario Liberal Party is not a competitive political vehicle, We'll, we'll, we'll be living in a province where we, you know, choose between left and right. And, and that's not mm. something that I want to see as a, as a centrist Ontarian. So um, we need to make the tough decisions now. It's not just about the 2026 election. We need to position our party coming out of a, a, a very difficult period where we face an existential crisis. We need to position our party for the longer term. Um, and so mm. that, that's really what this op-ed is about. And, you know, I, I, in preparation for this interview, I was just going over electoral results again Yeah. Uh, and looking, so I'm, I'm, I'm in, I'm, I live in Toronto. I've lived in Toronto for over a decade, but I, I'm from London, Ontario. I'm there right now visiting family. Um, I look at the, at the results in London ridings, which is a mid-sized city, an urban, an urban community where we should be able to win seats, if not, you know, a finish a competitive second. We finished a, a distant third um, in London West, a riding that was held by a prominent cabinet minister, Chris Bentley, as recently as 2013. Um, mm. We received 12% of the vote to the NDP's 45%. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. So, the, those, those no, I agree. Those things got to get got to get corrected. I got a minute left. I wanted to know what your reaction was to the Patrick Brown news. He obviously was a power player in provincial politics. I think we can agree would have been the next premier um, if not for the allegations against him in 2018. What's your reaction to this news this morning uh, with him out a uh, bounce from the CPC race? So I, I, you know, I saw that late last night. I think it's an absolute, uh, it is a game changer. Um, there's no doubt that, that, that Poilievre was, was absolutely the front runner. Um, but with this news, um, you know, I, I would almost go as far to say the race is, is over. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we'll see, you know, the details are murky at this point as to um, it sounds like he, you know, he, it's, it's alleged that his campaign um, broke some of the financial regulations as, as it relates to the Canada Elections Act. So, you know, I, I've seen that that the, the Brown mm-hmm. campaign has already posted a statement and they're going to fight these allegations um, and so we'll see how this plays out over the coming days. But um, mm. if if he is, you know, barred from the permanently barred from the race, um, you know, I do think, you know, it, the race will essentially be over as far as I can mm. tell. We'll see if his, if, you know, if he's unable to remain in the race and, you know, we'll see if his support uh, migrates to Jean Charest. Um, but I'm not sure the numbers are there. Looking yeah. At the, the membership sales. Yeah. So. Certainly, good news for the Poilievre campaign. And as a as a centrist, as a progressive, pragmatic progressive, as I like to describe myself, um, pretty concerning because I think um, you know, for whatever Brown's weaknesses are, he was trying to uh, bring a different approach to that party. That's and, right. Yeah. Um, well, that that's concerning from my perspective. Let's uh, you, uh, his works on uh, up on TVO.org. Let's have more conversations as the Liberals get close to uh, to choosing a leader. Really enjoyed today, Andrew. Thanks so much. Great. Thanks so much for your time, Greg. You Take bet, care. man. Andrew Perez uh, joining us. Uh, Patrick Brown out and not of his own volition. Um, and he isn't going to go quietly. Uh, far from it.
from the federal leadership race for the Conservative Party of Canada. Getting her perspective on something we wanted to do this morning, and we reached out. And, of course, uh, you know her quite well from uh, her history hosting here. And she's got a new book out called The Right Path, How Conservatives Can Unite, Inspire, and Take Canada Forward. And I know she was on with Kelly Cotrera yesterday, but not many of us saw this news coming overnight with Patrick Brown. Tasha Carradine joins me now on Toronto Today. It's great to have you on. Um, Congratulations on the book. A book's a really ambitious project. You're probably happy people consider them almost like kids when they uh publish books it's a relief to uh to get to send the book on its way now you got you got all you can do is talk about it now you don't have to redo anything with it whatsoever right absolutely it is like a child i held it and said ah child number two there we go and don't disappoint me book uh you can say that and scold the scold the book once in a while as well um, I, I'm sure you document some of this in the book, and and I wonder. I, I, that's the biggest question I had, even driving in to do the show this morning, was: Is what happened to Patrick Brown going to tear apart conservatives by nature, or will it unite conservatives by nature? Uh, th- there's a lot of wrestling for sort of the the control of this party, and there has been the last couple leadership conventions. How do you react to the news? Well, first of all, we don't fully know what's happened. This is this is the issue. The party, the real issue here is transparency. Um, I do talk in the book about why the party lost the last three elections, and it was breaking faith and losing the trust of a variety of different types of voters, and it really can't afford to do that again. That is the biggest danger here. Uh, the statement that was issued last night was really devoid of any detail. We don't know what these allegations are specifically. We don't know who made them. Um, the Patrick Brown campaigns obviously reacted right away to that. Um, and uh, that to me is the most troubling issue is that you you can't make accusations in a race like this. It's unprecedented to disqualify a candidate uh, like this. And uh, you can't just do that without some body of evidence. So I think it's really critical for the party to come forward and say what's gone on here to give due process. Otherwise, voters will look at this and, and potentially be turned off and say, well, you know, how, how can we trust you again? So they can't afford to break that trust. That's the one thing I think of is that these are obviously serious allegations. The part the um, the committee is alleging, look, we asked Patrick Brown's uh, people for information. We didn't get the appropriate information. We kind of got radio silence. Brown alleges, obviously, that the communication uh, lag is on is on the party's fault, is on the party's uh, part and not his own. But I'd even make the case that. Look, we've got a prime minister that three times has had ethics commission inquiries and and allegations are just that until they're proven. And I, I'm sure it drives conservatives crazy to watch some of those commission inquiries, whether it was the we scandal or, or whatever, and go, well, you know, we call we're calling ourselves on account here with Patrick Brown. And we know that the party that's running things in the House of Commons right now doesn't terribly do that a lot. Well, there is that frustration, no question. Um, there's also the issue that it seems sometimes conservatives are held to a different standard. You know, this is something that, uh, you know, as Stephen Harper, under Stephen Harper, the conservatives really became the party of accountability. They came in after the sponsorship scandal with Jean Chrétien uh, and Paul Martin, who inherited that from him, you know, and there, uh, after much, uh, you know, many, <laughs> a big inquiry, essentially, Fingers were pointed, um, but the the sort of smell, I guess, stayed over the Liberal Party for quite a while. And Harper, you know, addressed that, brought mm-hmm. in the Accountability Act. The Conservatives were seen as the ethical guardians. And then towards the end of his, his reign, so to speak, that mantle was tarnished by the Duffy affair of a Senate scandal, all this stuff. 
But still, the conservatives have that credo. So they are, I think, held to almost a higher standard than the liberals in the sense that they have they have brought in accountability. And so now with this situation, um, they have to live up to that. And uh, fair or unfair, it's it's a question of this is your brand. Uh, brand is you know rule of law and due process, all that good stuff. So really, I think it's incumbent on the uh, the LEOX, it's called the, the committee that decides the election rules for the leadership to really be as open as possible, because otherwise there will be accusations that this, you know, well-founded or not, that this that this, these, this this process is trumped up or is favoring one party or candidate or another. So they, they've got to put on the record what it is exactly is going on so that people can can understand and the rumors can stop. Tasha Carradine is our guest on Toronto Today. Now, you're uh, a campaign co-chair for Jean Charest, uh, the Charest um, and Brown have a, have a closeness, have a kinship. Brown sees him as a mentor. Um, is this I won't call it conflicting, but it's, it's probably difficult even personally. Uh, obviously, we have to wait till uh, these things, uh, you know, find the light of day. And, and, and Sheree himself is able to to really look through and weed through what's fair to say about Patrick Brown and these allegations and what isn't. But is there any element of, of disappointment on a personal perspective? Do you think for Jean Sheree this morning? Um, well, I haven't spoken to him personally since last night. Our campaign obviously has been talking mm-hmm. quite a bit, uh, but um, you know, I won't comment on how he feels about it. And, and when he mm-hmm. makes a statement on this, and which I he will do at some point, um, you know, he he could address that question. But I think it's the larger picture is obviously what does this mean for supporters of both camps? And you know, our campaign's continuing to vote to focus on persuasion, which is what we've been done from the beginning and getting out the vote. Um, the issue will be, obviously, are these members going to be all disqualified? And I don't know if that's been addressed by the LEOC either. Um, you know, the, the members that Patrick Brown has signed up are members who legitimately want to have a voice in this process. And if some of these, if LEOC found some of these are not in order, does that mean the whole group is is thrown out? And what happens also with the ballots? Because our understanding is some may have already gone out with his name on it. Um, the LEOC is meeting this morning to decide whether he should remain on the ballot. This is a very significant question. And, um, you know, it it is a a personal thing, obviously, but it is also a process thing because once you remove someone from a ballot, what happens then? You know, Patrick Brown is gonna go to court. Uh, It appears from from the lawyer's letters that was sent out last night, they're gonna fight this. They said they already will fight it. So if you you remove him from the race, does that vitiate the whole race? Uh, You know, clearly I think, Josh Ray and Patrick Brown share many views on policy and where the party should go in terms of being a center right big tent party. Um, so I think that, you know, the I guess that the way this this affects the race is simply that a voice of persuasion on that piece, if Patrick Brown is not there, is, is going to be removed. Right. Um, and so it's impossible to say how that would affect the outcome. But we just we're focusing right now on persuading people like we were doing. And we feel we just want to have as open a democratic a race as possible so that there's no question about at the end of the day, it's legitimacy. That's really the ultimate thing. It has to be a legitimate race. So Leoc has to take this seriously. hundred percent. And, and I, I, you know, we had Andrew Brander on and I said, can, can, you know, can the ballots not be, you know, resend out if there was, I keep making the, the uh, comparison. If there was a mistake from, you know, the Canada Revenue Agency uh, and they gave you extra money, they would eventually um, mail you again and say, hey, we made they'll a mistake. They'll find you. Oh, yeah. They'll find <laughs> oh, yeah. You, we'll we'll knock on the door. <laughs> we, we'll come all the way down from Sudbury. I feel like every single one of them work in Sudbury. I've had to call Sudbury a few times to clarify my own uh, my own status. Uh, those, those are not great days. 
But I, I just that's going to cause, like you said, that's going to cause either confusion or apathy. It's just not the, a big talking point for the conservatives and a good one at that. Tasha was just how many people are energized by this race. They want to get this right. Like that's the concept is get the right person that can not just you, know, you can align behind, but get the right person that can win a damn election. And they weren't able to do that despite winning the popular vote the last two times. So the the mobilization and it's not just Patrick Brown or Jean Charest or or Pierre. It's it's just like there's a lot more energy behind the party. And this is the last thing they needed in terms of confusion or or creating something that would create uh, an apathetic uh, conservative party member right now. Well, that's right. And that's why, you know, that's why, again, it goes back to this whole transparency and understanding why this decision was arrived at. Um, you know, we understand mm -hmm. that Elections Canada is involved. Well, how did that happen? One, one wonders, like, why did Elections Canada get involved? Um, these are the kinds of questions people will be asking themselves. So unless their answer was satisfaction from the party, to your point, it might discourage people. It might say, send a message that the party is not as open and transparent as people want. And we don't want that. You know, the beauty of this race is that we do have so many people signed up, so many new people, 675,000 members. It's unprecedented. And that is very positive. So in the end, I mean, it's, you know, it hurts the party. It helps the liberals if these questions are not answered properly in the minds of not just the members, but the voters. So we've got to get this right. The party has to get this right. And you know, we're going to continue focusing on our campaign, on persuading the membership, getting out the vote. Um, but, you know, we're, we're troubled by this and, and we want to make sure that at the end of the day, whatever decision the party makes can be explained to those members and those voters. Uh, I like your uh, your opinion. So I want you to be able to weigh in on this Christian Freeland clip. I'm going to play it for you, play it for the audience. We've done it a couple of times. So okay. I, again, I just. I, I shake my head and I know people that have voted for this government two times, three times, whatever. Like th this is the kind of thing I hear from people and they're mortified by this. Here's Christian Freeland yesterday uh, when she got a question from a Red FM reporter um, about uh, truckers and high fuel prices. From my perspective, this price increase in in fuel costs is a reminder of why climate action is so important and why as a country we have to work even harder and move even faster towards a green economy. It's an insurance policy against higher energy prices. I have 30 seconds here. What's your thought? <laughs> oh my goodness. Very tone deaf. Um, you know, all of us are in favor of a cleaner environment, but when people are struggling to make ends meet where they can't pay their grocery bills because the cost of fuel has inflated the price of everything, including food, I think it's incredibly insensitive. Um, like Christopher Freeland has never been one of my favorite politicians in terms of empathy. I don't find that she really evinces that very much. Um, this statement is, is that's a bit bonkers. It's exactly that. It's gone to you know, let's let's pivot from a from an issue we don't know what to do with, which is inflation and the cost of living. We're not going to cut fuel taxes. We're not going to do the things we could do. Let's talk about the shiny object over here. No, that's not what a leader does. A leader addresses the issue. And she didn't do that in this mm. clip. Clearly, The book is The Right Path, How Conservatives Can Unite, Inspire and Take Canada Forward. Tasha Carrot and our guest. Thanks for the time this morning. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Greg. Have a great day. You got it. Let's chat with uh, Anna Bailo, uh, City Councilor for Ward 9 Davenport and Deputy Mayor. She's on with us right now on Toronto Today. It's great to have you back on, Anna. Thanks very much for making the time. Good morning, Greg. Great to be here with you.
Um, let's start with uh, with the Patrick Brown news. It, it's on everybody's mind. It's uh, it's going to be the water cooler talk of the day. And um, there are things we know and things we don't know, but we know that it's an adamant reaction. Patrick Brown's not going quietly into the night um, after uh, the, the party said, well, you can't run anymore for the leadership. You know, the first thing that came to my mind, Greg, it was here we go again, again. <laughs> That's what the first thing come to, came to mind. Um, but I do think that, uh, you know, uh, if, if there are any issues, good on the party to have the courage to deal with it. But they definitely, I think, I think it is important for the political process, for, you know, everybody that follows politics, for the, the trust out there to be a little bit more clear on what exactly happened. I know this is just the beginning, we just found out, but I think it is important that the party explains a little bit more on, on what happened. Uh, I also think it is a bit concerning on the people that did sign, you know, even get it, you know, if they didn't pay directly, but, you know, they were somewhat involved in, in the political process. And so it is um, it is concerning on how people start looking at politics. And if this is their first experience with politics, it's it's discouraging. I like that you gave me a really honest a- answer to that and, and a reaction, because I think that will be the common perception, regardless of what we thought in 2018, regardless of what we know now about this. That's that's the concept. And and where it'll hurt a politician to me, Anna, is if someone is just there's too much drama around that person. We, we all know you could and you don't have to name them. You would know people in the political universe and you're like, there's so much drama around that person. And it's interesting and people pay attention to it. But we know like there are people like that in our personal lives. We're like, oh, gosh, every time we, we run into this couple or this this man, this woman, it's all about the drama. And Patrick Brown really needed he really needed to me, Anna, uh, a campaign with no drama here in, in terms of reconciling what's happened in the past. I, I, I agree. And I, I, I really thought he was on a good path, to be honest with you. He is he had been doing really well in the past few years. Uh, I really thought that he came across quite well, even during the pandemic yeah. as the mayor of Brampton. And and so this is this is definitely a setback for him, for sure. There's no question about it, because I think people will will start thinking exactly what you just said is like, oh, my God, you know, there's just too much around this person. They, they probably can't even point out what it is anymore, but it's just it's just starting to be too much. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, sometimes you you want to you want to roll and proceed uh, seen and, and not heard and only be heard when when it's time. For, to get in front of a microphone or to debate or to or to campaign for votes clearly and and that's that's not what this is in the last 12 hours um this uh th- this kind of pushed this story off off the news cycle and i i'd even kick myself a little bit to think did we still talk about this enough the news cycle moves so fast and as i'm sure you're aware but the woman that was attacked on a bus at kipling station about four weeks ago now has passed away and she had terrible burns uh, there probably is going to be um, not for us to say, but there's probably going to be an escalation of charges um, to the, uh, the the person that's in, uh, in incarcerated right now for this crime. It's awful. And uh, and a lot of people in our city talked about this tragedy. Do we do we and can we change anything in our subway stations that protects from future attacks like this? Or is this just one of those awful, awful things that can happen? Greg, I think there's two issues here. I, I think there's the, you know, the TTC safety, and, and I'll, I'll I'll talk a little bit more into that. But mm-hmm. there's there's the the hate crimes, and you know, we, we in Canada love to think that these things happen somewhere else, and not in our city, and not in our country. And this just shows how fragile uh, we are to these incidents as well. And I think 
Uh, we need to fight them. It doesn't matter where they happen. If it is on the subway, if it is on a public square, if it is, you know, uh, in, in the community center. So uh, these hate crimes we cannot tolerate uh, and, and we need uh, to be strong on it. With regards to the subway, of course, I, I think there's two things happening with the, the TTC um, that if, you know, that affect ridership. You know, obviously people are working more from home. They stay. It's just changed the way people um, adapted. And I think that we need to create models to respond to that kind of ridership, uh, to bring more people, to attract more people into the ridership. I was talking to somebody the other day and they were saying, you know what? I'm driving every day because I only work, go work two days a week now. And if I buy the Metro Pass, it doesn't make sense. And so it's just two days. It's like, we need to adapt to this. We need to create programs. We need to create, be innovative, be uh, so to attract that ridership because the more people you have, you know, the more eyes you have on all these situations. And I think there needs to be an assessment in terms of cameras, in terms of, uh, you know, where are these things happening? Do an assessment, a, a safety assessment of these stations of the, of the system itself. Because again, this will, if we don't deal with this, this will further negative impact the ridership on MGTC, mm. which is not good right now, as we know. <laughs> it's not. It's not. Um, I, I got some time here and, and we'll get to a couple of issues after the break. But this park, um, I, I I talk about the Toronto waterfront. Um, I've got friends that just came back from Chicago and you've probably heard this from many people that go to Chicago. They're like, we've got a similar scenario with a great lake right at our doorstep, but we don't look like Chicago. So there's a parking garage at the bottom of Bathurst street that, uh, that may get transformed into a waterfront park and, and Mayor Tory's quote on here is right on the money. Some of it has happened during the last four years, eight, uh, eight years, I should point out for so many years, the city's turned its back on the waterfront. People just want to be able to come and touch the water. And he's right about that. Can we improve our waterfront for future generations to come based on parks like these? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that uh, we need champions and good on the Bayer to come out and really say, we're, you know, I'm going to champion this because mm -hmm. these are big projects. And and if, if you don't have somebody, uh, you know, the mayor to push for these things, it gets very hard to, to, to move them forward. They're already long enough. I mean, we're talking about, you know, a 25 year plan that now is going to prioritize prioritize these three parts. So it is great to have the mayor champion these projects. I think they could uh, help with the waterfront. Also, the, the population in downtown Toronto is just, you know, it's probably going to double, which are, it has doubled in the last 20 years. And from uh, 2016 to 240, uh, 2041 mm -hmm. is going to more than double again. So and we know that people are using public spaces in a different way. And we know that, you know, apartments are also smaller than what they used to be 30 years ago. So we need these spaces for the quality of life of Torontonians, uh, for the well-being of the city. Um, and also because, you know, people go visit, you know, other cities for quality of life. People like to enjoy those cities because of the quality of life that, that those people have there. And I think these parts will go hand in hand with that. Yeah. Uh, outdoor options are everything. Excited to uh, continue our chat with Anna Bailo, uh, city councilor for Ward 9 Davenport. We should mention as well, along with uh, Joe Cressy, a departing city councilor. Anything I can do in the next seven minutes to convince you to stick around? Anything because we, we'd, we'd want we'd want to be, be there if you were considering it at all today. <laughs> I think that would be hard, Greg. I think that decision uh, has been made. Ah, <laughs> uh, that ship has sailed uh, into yeah, into the new waterfront park that we hope will be there uh, someday. Let me ask you about this uh, this noise situation, and I, I bring this up too because this crops up during um, I'll call it fireworks season, and it certainly did going into last weekend. People wondering, well, what can what can we do for enforcement if people are setting off? 
fireworks in backyards and parks and whatnot. And we had the mayor of Ajax on to talk about. I want to get somebody on from municipalities. Like that's just not something we can respond to is, well, people are letting fireworks off at 11 o'clock on a Friday night. But this, the problem with vehicle noise is a little bit different, and it does seem like there's more of a uh, rise in the noise coming from Toronto residents about said noise. Um, it, do you see these things as as enforceable? Are changes that uh, that you're looking at in this report going before committee today going to change the game a little bit on this? Or do, do we just have to hope that people will be good people about it and, and not make as much noise as they're making, especially with their vehicles? I, I think we've, we've done that and it hasn't worked. Uh, mm-hmm. We've hoped that there were good people and it really hasn't worked because it is an issue that, especially during the pandemic, I think if you speak to any city councilor here in the city of Toronto, we can tell you that we're hearing more from constituents and the issue has escalated over the last few years. So uh, it, it is definitely an issue. I think that there's, um, if we're thinking we're going to deal with this just by having cops all over the place, um, I, I think we're not going to be successful. I don't think it's actually the best use of our uh, force, to be honest with you. Um, I think that this needs to be dealt with some of the recommendations that are in the report. I think going after, you know, body shops that install these things, knowing that they're illegally illegal, I think that is important. Um, we have done a lot of uh, road design as well to prevent the speeding, and we need to continue to do that more of that. Obviously, those are long-term, that is a long-term solution. I am a little disappointed, I have to tell you. I actually put a motion on this for, for staff to investigate technology that other cities are implementing to to um, to actually ticket people uh, uh, that have an increased decibel of noise, whatever that city's bylaw is. And I don't see a lot of research still done on that and a lot of recommendations. They do say that we're going to keep looking at it. Um, but but I think that those are the things that we need to look at. It's it's using our license, licensing powers. Uh, using technology to to deal the same way that we do speed cameras, right? The same way that we're already doing uh, some of the speed cameras because we can't have a cop in every corner to deal with these issues. We need to look at technology to deal with some of these issues. And like I said, go to the root of the problem with road design, definitely, and uh, and the and the licensing around these uh, these body shops. So, so I think it has to be a a multitude of of. Uh, uh, tools to deal with the issue. A lot of it seems like this is about the street racing, um, the stunt driving, as opposed to, you know, I, I I don't know what anyone could do about an email that that happened that, you know, well, somebody is uh, is doing construction and I'm trying to I'll, I'll take a nap in the afternoon. You can imagine, Anna. And, and I if someone's doing construction across the street. Hey, it's daytime. It's that's when they're supposed to do it. But it's it's the stuff that yeah. happens after after 1130 p.m. or people hearing a motorcycle at 3 a.m. And it could be kilometers away. I've seen these anecdotal uh, stories from people saying it, it, it the noise carries. I can hear stuff from yeah. three, four kilometers away on a quiet night. And I know it's nowhere Absolutely. near my house or an ambulance uh, siren or whatever. And, I, and, I expect those. And- and Greg, I think that if you see, if you, your neighbor is doing construction and you're having a nap, like, you know that that's needed, right? Yes. They need to do their construction. You don't need to have a muffler that does all that noise and go crazy on our streets at three o'clock in the morning. Like, I think that's also, it's like, you know, there's certain things that certain noise that people will tolerate because, you know, we know that certain things are a bit noisier and, and, mm. and, and it's uncomfortable sometimes, but you know, we know that for the, the good of everybody, you need to, or, 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 or the, your neighbors or so on, you need to, to go through it. But these are not necessary, right? This is not necessary at all. And, uh, and 
you know, they're not legal. A lot of these mm-hmm. uh, tech, these things that they use in the cars and in their bikes. And I think we just really need to crack down on them. Last one uh, for you is about uh, the rush hour parking restrictions. I know the city, I, I, you know, I don't know if it's being called a blitz, but the city's getting back at towing errant vehicles, giving more, you know, tickets for people who at 430 on a uh, on a Thursday afternoon, put the four way flashers on and go in and pick up dry cleaning somewhere and leave a car somewhere for six, seven minutes. There's a reason there's a no stopping sign there. Did did we wait a little long on this? And again, we, we probably trusted people. Ah, they'll do the right thing. But if you look around and you know you're not getting ticketed for something, you're more inclined to to kind of, you know, climb over that uh, that line of acceptability a little bit. Yeah, it, it's a tough one, Greg. People have been going through so much. It's been a really tough two years. Small businesses have been going through a lot. People have been going through a lot. To, to have, you know, uh, enforcement uh, cracking down on this six months ago or a year ago, I, I, I don't know. I think, I mean, we're still going through all this. But now we also have to balance things out because people are, more people are coming back to work. There's a lot more traffic on the streets. And we're kind of saying, okay, this this needs to happen. Like we need to start being more considerate of each other and these issues that were here before and and how to deal with that. So we need to remind people. I, I don't think we've waited too long. I, I really think that we had enough to deal with for these last two years. I hear that. Uh, Anna, thanks very much for making the extra time for our show. Really appreciate it. And, so uh, and have a great have rest a great of the vacation. week. I'll do I'll do what I can. Yeah, it's with family. So we'll see how that goes at that, that. You know, it's <laughs> it's not a lot of solo time, but uh, we're uh, we're looking forward to it. Thanks for the uh, well wishes. Thank you. Annabello uh, joining us. Uh, Ward nine counselor in the city of Toronto. Got a lot covered there. A lot of ground covered and uh, learned a lot as well. Thanks for listening to Toronto today. Back with a live show tomorrow on the Radio Player Canada app or you can find us at 640 Toronto dot com.